We can either have democracy in this country or we can have great wealth concentrated in the hands of a few, but we can't have both. Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So since 1980, real income of the bottom 50% of the U.S. population has grown by 20%, while that of the top 10% has grown by 145%. Income inequality is real, and it's a problem for people like us, middle-class workers. We're going to break that down and tell you how that affects you on today's show. But first, let's take a dive into our contract. So today we're going to talk about misclass grievances because that's something that's been coming up a lot in the shop yeah, recently. It has. Um, so everybody should probably know by now you're part of an occupational group. That's the, the type of work that you do. And within that occupational group, you have what's called a path of progression. And that's the way that you're going to get raises and progress throughout your occupational group. Yep. And for each different labor grade, there's a four-digit job code. Uh, Each of those has a job description attached to it, and they're very defined as far as what's in those job descriptions. And that defines what work you should be doing and what work a more senior, you know, higher-rated employee should be doing. Uh, In the event that you're doing work that you believe is higher-rated, or if you're unsure of what's in your job description, you can make a steward request, sit down with your steward. They'll go through the past 90 days of work, and they'll look at, have you performed you know, the higher rated work for the practicable majority of a 90 day period. Right. And if you have, they're going to request that you be compensated for the difference in pay between your rate and the higher rated pay. And there's a few things that could take place in the procedure after that. They could have you stop doing that work moving forward, you know, pay you for it. Yep. They could refuse to pay you and, you know, you end up battling them through the grievance procedure. Uh, or in some cases, if there's not a more senior employee in line, they might promote the person and just have them continue to you know, work to that grade. Right. So I think it's important um, as part of this discussion to make sure that our members understand what the union's position is, right? What the contract language looks like, what, what the union's position is. The contract language is exactly as you described it. Uh, the union's position on these grievances is always going to be compensate the employee for the work that they performed for the past 90 days and stop having them do that work. That's going to be our official position, right? The company can react and change that position, but that's going to be our initial position. So it's important for members to understand that, you know, we're not going to go into that grievance saying, promote this employee, promote this employee, because there might there might be a bypass situation, right, where there's a more senior employee who, who should be promoted first. Um, but our position is going to be cease and desist, pay up, yep. right? And if the company takes a position where they say, well, we want to continue to do this, then possibly a discussion about promotion will happen. And I think the flip side to that is the new language we negotiated into this contract too, which is worth mentioning here, which if there's two successful misclasses in a row, so you know, you're found to have done the higher rated work for two 90 day periods, yep. then and there's going to be a discussion had about possibly promoting. Yes. The contract requires that we have that discussion. And again, that will not allow you to just buy, we're not going to make a deal to bypass a more senior employee. Uh, right. That would be a violation of their rights. Right. 
but we're going to have the discussion and hopefully try and have the discussion about promoting whoever we need to to get to that person. Everyone in line, right. Absolutely. So really important for members to understand job descriptions, right, to understand what work they're supposed to be doing, what work they shouldn't be doing because it's higher rated, uh, and react to that through the grievance procedure, right? Call for a steward. Make sure that you're holding the company accountable, right? Don't let them get away with having you perform higher rated work without getting the higher pay. And we've seen some areas where management takes the position that, oh, I'm teaching this person the higher rated job so I can promote them. No. Nope. That is not how we work. No. We promote people, we train them up, and they do you know the work within the code. Right. We don't have these you know periods where we train people and have them perform higher yeah, rated work. Absolutely. I mean, Rocco said it a hundred times. It, you know, at Sikorsky Aircraft, Teamsters Local 1150, we promote and train. We don't train and promote. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about job evaluation another time. But in the event that something is not within any of the write-ups, your steward might determine, and it's the steward who would determine this, that there's a need to get job evaluation stewards involved, which would then look at the job itself. Yep, absolutely. Okay, good stuff. All right, so let's let's talk about what we're here to talk about today, which is income inequality. And, and we're going to kind of show how this this affects us, how it translates to what's going on at UPS, all that stuff. Um, but let's reiterate that statistic that I opened the show with. Since 1980, real income of the bottom 50% of the U.S. population has grown 20%, while that of the top 10% has grown by 145%. And we have to keep in mind that the bottom 50% of the U.S. population are either living in poverty or near poverty, right? And that's, that's almost true, right? It's middle class and below, okay? The 20% growth doesn't amount to that much. On the other hand, the 10%, the top 10%, they are all millionaires and billionaires, right? The top 10% earners in this country are millionaires or more. So... Their 145% growth is astronomical, and that means that the gap, that income gap or income inequality, is spreading and growing further and further, right, especially when you measure it in real dollars. It's crazy when you think about the number of people, too, because 10%, we have about, what, 331 million people in yep. the U.S., yep. so 10% of that versus... 56 or what was it 50% the bottom yep. 50% yep. that's a lot more people in the bottom 50% yeah it's a problem right um, income inequality is definitely a real problem um, if you break it down even further right if you you squeeze those those percentages even more the bottom 90% of the US population saw a growth of just 24% in real income in the last 50 years while the top 1% more than doubled their income. And again, let's be clear, the top 1%, these are billionaires, right? So that's crazy growth, right? Billionaires doubled their income while everyone else saw maybe 24% growth at 24% as a group. So there's this delusion that government handouts for the poor are this evil thing. Um, and, and we can argue, right, who's gaming the system because you hear people talk about that all the time. Oh, people are, people are screwing the welfare system. They cheat the welfare system. Um, yeah, okay. And we can have that argument. We can have that conversation. But 
we can't have that conversation and ignore the fact that the rich are gaining the system too, right? The rich are doing the same thing as the poor. Yeah, and you look at the times we're in with inflation where it's at, with you know the price of everything through the roof. If you're in the bottom or the even the middle class, you're a lot more drastically impacted by your day-to-day needs and the cost of them increasing yes. than a wealthy person. Yes. A wealthy person can live off the interest of their investments. Yep. Uh, you know, if you're in, having your whole salary eaten up by groceries and gas and yeah. a car payment, which is now they're trying to normalize thousand dollar car payments. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it, and, and there, there's so there's that desperation on a daily basis, right? As far as your income and making it work for you, right? There's a desperation every day for folks that are living on the poverty line. Um, so unions, right? We exist specifically. Because those rich people who game the system are gaming the system, right? We, we exist because of them, right? Back in 2020, the most recent year that we have complete numbers on this stuff, the U.S. government spent $53 billion on direct housing assistance for the poor. Now, let's hear everybody who's listening say, see, that's what I mean, the handouts, government handouts. $53 billion in direct housing assistance for the poor. That same year, the same government spent $193 billion on homeowner subsidies like home mortgage interest deduction and other tax incentives. So when we talk about the poor standing around with their hands out, looking for government handouts, the middle class and above, the folks with money are getting almost four times as much money in government handouts. Yeah. And when you talk about like poor people or deep poverty, deep poverty is referring to one in 18 people in the United States. Yeah. Um, Only one in 18 live in that condition. Deep poverty. And that category includes people that are making less than $6,400 a year. Uh, or a family of four earning less than $13,000 per year. Imagine that. I mean, you can't. You can't live off that, No, obviously. I don't know how. I mean, certainly where we live, you can't live off of that. Um, and even in the poorest areas, right, in the, the lowest cost of living state in the United States, $6,400 a year or 13000 a year for a family of four doesn't cut it. No. Right? Yeah, even with free housing. Yeah. Exactly. And and listen, I I don't say this to brag to anybody. I've been working at Sikorsky Aircraft for 35 years. Um, I'm near the top of the food chain in that company, right? Because I've been around for a long time. But I say this just to illustrate how low that is. I personally surpassed that deep poverty line for a family of four. So me as an individual passed the family deep poverty line in the beginning of February. I wonder how quickly the average CEO of a company in the U.S. passed that line oh, this I, year. I actually have some of those numbers. Well, when we get into UPS, I'll talk about that. Okay, perfect. Um, so, so, yeah, I actually have that statistic. I have a feeling it's going to be minutes, hours, <laughs> or days. <laughs> You're on the right track for sure. Definitely not weeks. The, the idea that somebody, a family, can survive on $13,000 a year, is it's unfathomable to me. Um So as you're listening to this, think about it, like really think about it. Don't just let us glaze over those numbers. Think about $13,000 a year for your entire family. That's $250 a week. I assume both parents have to work. I would assume. Um, So you need childcare. You have to four mouths to feed. Right. 
uh, you have utilities. Yep. Uh-huh. I mean, just about every Teamster at Sikorsky Aircraft makes $250 in a day. Some make twice that in a day. And these folks that are in that deep poverty level, they're making that in a week. Right? And, That's a week's pay. And there's 18 million people in this country who live in, in those conditions. Exactly. And millions of those are children. Yeah. So anywhere you look, you can find systems and industries that are putting into practice policies and programs that are skewed in favor of the wealthy or to the detriment of the poor. Like, And some of those are child labor laws, which we're seeing <laughs> rolled back all over the country. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. Let's let those kids get into a meatpacking plant and help lift their family out of this deep Absolutely, poverty. Absolutely, because that's what we should do, right? We shouldn't raise wages. We should raise workers. Yeah. Right? <laughs> By raise, you mean let them grow up working yes, on the job? Yes, ex- exactly what I mean. Let's look at the banking industry, for instance. In 2019, banks in the United States charged Americans $11.7 billion in overdraft fees. Overdraft fees are common, right? It's something that we we don't even blink an eye at, right? We It's something that's been around forever. $11.7 billion in overdraft fees were paid to banks by Americans. Only 9% of all account holders paid 84% of those charges. That's so insane. 9% of the people who have bank accounts in this country paid 84% of those overdraft fees. These were customers who carried an average balance of less than $350. It's crazy that their money totaled $11.7 billion. Exactly. So they're paying a ton of overdraft fees. So in this system, right? And listen, I'm not suggesting that it's okay to overdraft your bank account. But in this system, it's set up so that the poor are paying for their poverty, right? They're paying because they're poor. It makes them more poor. I mean, And you pay it through... You have bad credit. You pay higher interest. Exactly. Everything costs you more, and you already have less to start with. Yeah, exactly. It's so a death spiral. It, it is. And, and you know, we promise not to get into politics on this show, but when you hear people say that the system is rigged against the poor, it's true, right? When you look at things like this, when just that one industry, the banking industry, is rigged against the poor, right? If you're yeah. poor— like you said, you pay higher interest, you're going to pay overdraft fees, all of this stuff. There's got to be a better way. You look at some areas where, you know, housing costs through the roof. And I saw a video last week of a woman who I think was in cleaning at one of the hotels on the West Coast, and she slowly had to move her family further and further and further away from her job. And it got to the point where they're commuting like from 3.30 in the morning, two and a half, three hours to get to this job where she cleans. And then they go home and they sleep for, I think, three hours a night and go back and work again. I don't know how many days a week, but it's crazy. You just can't live like that. Yeah, it's not sustainable at all. So, again, there's got to be a better way. So this is a union podcast. So what does this have to do with unions? Um, People who make these rules, you know, the people who are at the top of these industries and saying, hey, let's charge a fee to people who don't have enough money. Or, hey, let's require people to carry a $5,000 balance in their bank account, or we'll charge them a fee for that, too. Um, You know, and the people who are hoarding all the wealth in this country, these are all the same people. And these are the people who we end up sitting across the bargaining table from, right? These are the people that we're bargaining contracts for our members with. 
And that's why the theme in every negotiation is the same. That's why the the reason for every picket line seems to be the same. The same wages and working conditions and exactly. attacks on people forced overtime and two tiers and Yep. It's all the same things everywhere we look. Yeah. And, and so it we, shows you who controls the, you know, the other side of the labor market, you know, the business market. Right. Because because money is power. Yep. Right. You can't dispute that. These people, these are the people who are telling Starbucks workers. Right. Because we talk about Starbucks on the show ad nauseum. But these are the same people who are telling Starbucks workers to work in unhealthy conditions, uh, force them to turn to a union for help, right? They have no choice but to turn to a union for help. And then those same people close the store because of those very same unhealthy conditions that they were forcing their workers into so that they put those people out of work, right? It's this horrible power that these filthy rich people have over us, right? And that's why we exist. That's why we're here. Money's power in this world. Even here where... You know, we pretend that an average citizen can run for president, right? In the United States, hey, anybody can run for president. It's not true because without money, you can't run a political campaign. You can't get elected to a position of power without having that money. So so money is power even in this country, right? Even in the political realm in this country where we swear, right? We tell all of our citizens, hey, we're all equal on that playing field. It's not true. So, um, you know. The people with the money are running the show. They make the rules because they make the money. Their whole purpose is to make as much money as they can and then make their rich friends even richer. And who do they look to for sacrifices when one's needed? Us, right? Yeah. Look they, at Yellow. Yeah. The trucking company. Yep. And, and they're one of many. Look at the car companies back when they were bailed out. You know, During the bailout times, the unions took major concessions. They worked hard under those concessions to help make these companies profitable again. Yep. And then when they bargain a new contract, do you think the company shares that? Not at all. Thank you for your, you know, concessions and your hard yep. work and keeping us afloat. We would have gone bankrupt without you. Yep. All we, of our profits are derived from your work. That's Thank right. you. It's that's what happens. We take concessions, they take vacations. Yep. That, and it happens everywhere you look. Um, it's plain and simple, it's corporate greed. So, you know, these are the folks, right, the folks with the money and with the power. They're the ones who've been carrying out this anti-union, anti-worker campaign for decades, right? We talk about it all the time. They call us greedy. Every time we try to fight back, every time we try to fight for um, a bigger piece of the pie, or in reality, what we're fighting for these days is just to maintain the piece of the pie that we have. And they call us greedy for it, right? And it's so hypocritical because these are the greediest human beings on earth and they have the guts to call us greedy. And we can't continue to let it happen. And we're seeing this wave in this country, right? We're seeing it grow, um, this favorable union wave. Um, but we need to dig our heels in and take the tough stand when we need to, right? Because it doesn't work if it's only words, right? We have to take action sometimes. Um, income inequality, it destroys nations because it concentrates wealth and expands poverty. And one of the best ways to fight that is, is through a union. But l let's talk about some numbers, yeah, so the U.S. has the second highest poverty rate in the world, and that's crazy. That should be alarming to anybody. Yeah. 
South Africa, a nation of 59 million people, it's about one-sixth of the size of the U.S., leads the world with about a 28% poverty rate. That's crazy. So the U.S. has an 18% poverty rate. Yeah, and in South Africa, there's five billionaires and 16 million people living in, in poverty. So think about that. Everybody who's listening, again, think about that. So a nation that is one-sixth the size of the United States has almost as many people living in poverty as the United States does. 16 million people live in poverty in that country, 18 million in the United States. I wonder how many billionaires in the U.S.? I don't know. Yeah, it's got to be a lot more. Got to be a lot more. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, this is a global issue. We're talking about our country and the problems that we have with in- income inequality. And we can't allow, you know, the billionaires, the greedy billionaires to flip the script on us. We can't let them make decisions that, you know, slow and stagnate our progress while theirs takes off. Right. And, and income inequality over time has just exponentially grown. Yes. It hasn't been like a slow trickle growth where, you know, oh, they're slipping away from the pack. It's just been this skyrocketing. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you look at a country like South Africa and people think, well, it's it's Africa. South Africa is a pretty a pretty advanced country. But when you start to see poverty rates that high, that's when you start to run the risk of slipping into that third world category. Right. Where it's just extreme poverty across the country. And there's a couple of rich people running the show and yeah. they don't care. Right. Yeah. And you go back to that example of that woman, you know, in L.A., the cleaner that I talked about. You need people to run your cities, your towns, your industries. You can't have, you know, hotels afloat without people that clean the hotels, without people that staff the front desk. So if you make it so cost ineffective for people to live and work in an area, who's going to run your businesses? Yep. Who's going to, you know, do any job? Yeah. Really? The rich don't do these jobs. No, they don't. So, you know, you have to have affordable living within an area that's reasonable where Somebody can sleep for more than three hours a night. Yeah. So I just want to remind everybody of that first statistic that we mentioned, right? The top 10% in this country saw their income grow by 145% in the last 45 years, while the rest of us grew by 20%. Don't call me greedy because I want to change that, right? Yep. The rest of us worked during that whole time, right? Yeah. Yes. Not just the wealthy work in there. That's right. For sure. For sure. So UPS, right? We cannot have a show right now without talking about UPS. And how do we fit this into what's happening at UPS? So when you look at the UPS negotiations um, and you listen to the statements that the company's making, like, quote, the company has nothing left to give, we have to consider this. Um, and and here's, here's where we talked, where you, you asked for these statistics. The UPS CEO is a woman by the name of Carol Tomey. Um, she's worth $68.5 million, right? So she's a multimillionaire. Um, she had a base salary in 2021 of $1,336,251. Um, and a total compensation package, you know, the, and that includes her stock options and bonuses and all that. Her total compensation package was $27,620,000. million. So let's break it down. That's $531,000 a week. Say it again. $531,000 
per week. That's almost $13,300 per hour or over $221 per minute. Okay, let's go back to that other stuff, right? People at that extreme poverty line, the deep poverty line, are making $250 a week. The CEO of UPS is making that in one minute. Yeah, what did we say, $6,400 a year? Yeah. So if they're making 13300 per hour, that's what, a half hour? It's a half hour, yeah. The CEO of UPS surpasses the poverty line for a family of four in the first hour of January 1st. Wow. Waking up, good morning. Yep. Out of poverty, morning, let's have I a good year. no longer poor. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's unfathomable. When you break the numbers down like that, it's disgusting, right? It's insulting. And it should be embarrassing for that. I listened to Sean O'Brien this morning. He was on um, he was on television this morning. And I listened to him use that word about what's going on at UPS. He said UPS should be embarrassed that they are a company that had over $100 billion in revenues last year. And they're walking away from the negotiating table saying we don't have anything else to give. Yeah. Teamsters have to beat an air conditioner out of them. After last year, they have a viral video of drivers collapsing due to heat. Yep, absolutely. So I went online, got some numbers, because UPS loves to talk about what their employees are making, right? And the one thing they always throw out there is, oh, we have drivers who are making $90,000 a year. And that's not untrue, right? There are drivers for UPS who are making $90,000 a year. Most of those are the -the over-the-road tractor-trailer drivers, right? So the long-haul drivers um, who are making six figures sometimes. But they're working 60 and 65-hour weeks to do that, right? So, yeah, they make a good hourly wage, but they have to put in a week and a half of time in order to make that money. They have to put a week and a half of work into every week. I wonder what toll that takes on you over a lifetime career. It's got to take a huge toll. So let's look at some numbers. This is from payscale.com. The average hourly rate for a UPS delivery driver nationwide is $26 an hour. That's on a 40-hour work week. That's under $55,000 a year. Average hourly rate for a UPS tractor-trailer driver, $26. The same. Average hourly rate for a UPS package handler, 15 bucks an hour. That's the Connecticut minimum wage, by the way. $15 an hour. That's about $31,000 a year on a 40-hour work week. Average hourly rate for a driver helper, 15 bucks. Average hourly rate for a UPS loader, so a warehouse worker, 15 bucks. Average hourly rate for a UPS mail sorter nationwide, $13 an hour. That's about $27,000 a year. $13 an hour, it's below the Connecticut minimum wage. That's the average wage nationwide for a mail sorter at, at UPS. So please, UPS, please don't come to the table or get on television and try to bolster your image by saying we have $90,000 a year wage earners at UPS. And don't pretend like you don't know how to reward people because for the 14th consecutive year, the UPS board of directors increased their stock dividend. So we reward our, you know, our stockholders, our shareholders. We just don't reward the people that literally break their backs to deliver the packages. And and listen, 
guarantee you, none of those stockholders, none of those people getting those dividends for the last 14 years are delivering packages to your house. No. And what have revenues done? You know, last year, UPS revenues were over $100 billion. Yep. That's uh, an increase of 3% over 2021 numbers. Right. Um, and the operating profits were $14 billion, which is an increase of 5.5%. Yeah. Over already astronomical increases. Yeah. They were a profitable company, you know, Yes. Well before the pandemic. But then you look at what the pandemic did to them. And mm. I think it tri- it doubled or tripled their you know profits yeah. since the pandemic. Yep. So UPS profits last year were twice what Lockheed Martin paid for Sikorsky aircraft. Just I, I like to do those comparisons, right? Lockheed Martin paid about $7 billion for Sikorsky aircraft. UPS profits last year in one year were twice that. The company as of July 7th, I think, is worth $154 billion. That's the net worth of UPS right now. Just to compare, Lockheed Martin, the company we work for, the largest defense contractor in the world, has a net worth of about $117 billion. Wow. And I was right on that before. Annual profits in the past two years are close to three times what they were pre-pandemic at UPS. Yep. And that's on the backs of us right? Sorry, but it is. But they spent $8.6 billion on uh, shareholders in the form of dividends and stock buybacks. Dividends and stock buybacks, which stock buybacks were illegal until I don't remember what year, but it's more of a common practice. You know, Very common. It's more of a recent practice, I meant to say, than, yep. than it was you know, years ago when it was illegal. Yep. Um, but $8.6 billion in 2022, they're forecasting another $8.4 billion this year. Right. So we've got the money to spend to, to thank people. Yes, but j- not if they wear a brown uniform. Right. Yeah. Um, this is the largest transportation company in the world. And so for them to make that statement that they have nothing left to give, um, effectively ending negotiations almost four weeks before the contract expires, um, it's disingenuous to say the least. It's disgusting. It's, it's, uh, it's a lie. It's right. like a cartoon with pockets filled with cash. And <laughs> yes. We've got nothing left to give, sir. Exactly. Um, the 340,000 Teamsters who work for UPS literally risked their lives, right, for a couple of years during COVID um, and during the peak of the pandemic to keep this country moving, to withstand an increase in e-commerce of over 25%, right? That all fell in the laps of the deliverers, the warehouse workers, the the drivers, everybody at UPS, right? All of those hourly teamsters at UPS um, bore the brunt of that increase in e-commerce that happened and continues today, right? Um, UPS profits increased nearly 30% during the peak of the pandemic. And again, the burden of this fell entirely on the backs of Teamsters who process, load, deliver those packages. But UPS has nothing left to give. And quite frankly, that's bullshit. We occupy the moral high ground on this, and we can't back down. It's devastating to the labor movement if we back down on this. It allows those rich and powerful companies to keep all of the power that they want. Which brings us to what do we do about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> or what's likely coming as a result. Yeah, and, and listen. Could Sean, be a strike at UPS. Yeah, Sean O'Brien makes that clear, right? On August 1st, we're going to be on strike if we don't have the deal that we want. 
Yeah, and I love how he phrases it. UPS is putting themselves on strike yeah. come August first. Yes, he used the, this morning when I was listening to him. He used the term "self-inflicted wound." Yep, it's a self-inflicted wound by UPS. They they hold all the cards in this, right? It's it's their deck to play right now. And the amount of money they're gonna lose, I wonder what they're you know. Where's the break-even point where it's like, oh, God, this this isn't worth it. This isn't worth it. We're losing right. too much money. Just pay the Teamsters what they deserve. Yeah. And, mean, and, that's, and, and I'm glad you phrased it that way because it's not pay the Teamsters what they want. Right. We want what we deserve. Right. We don't want two tiers. We don't want mandatory overtime. Right. We don't want increases in health insurance. You know, yeah. whatever it may be yep. across all these industries that we see. Yeah. Listen, everyone who has a stake in UPS is getting richer. Everyone, right? They're all making more money. We just want to do that too. Nobody at UPS on the Teamster side is saying, we want to make the same thing as the CEO. We want to make the, the same thing as, you know, the president of the company. No one's saying that. We want a fair increase, right? We want a living wage. We want people to work those jobs and be comfortable when they go home. You want people to come in, you want people to work hard and earn you a profit. You have to be able to share. You know, we kept up our end of the deal. We grew the pie. The yeah. pie is much bigger. Way bigger. We just want to keep our fair share of it and, you know, and gain some of what the growth was. Yeah. You know, if you think about like, what's your fair share? If today it was 20% and then the pie grew 50%, keeping your old 20% isn't your piece of the pie. It's not fair, right? It's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, so to come in with even a cost-neutral contract, that's offensive. It is. But, you know, they're quick to, when there's a downturn, demand a concession. And I'm not just talking UPS. In general. Anybody. The minute there's a concession, everybody comes with their, you know, plate looking for, you know, you yeah. to empty your pockets. It happened with us. It happens with everybody, right? They're always looking at the auto industry, like you mentioned earlier. It, it, yep. it happens with every industry. And I love the auto industry because it's just a few quick years and you see the glaring difference between we need these concessions to stay afloat. We're profitable again. And it's like, oh, yeah. but you forgot about us. But you're paying all of the dividends out. You're yep. paying for exactly. stock buybacks. No Nobody's suggesting that the stockholders should take, you know, a decrease in their dividend. Yeah. Nobody. And, or or saying, let's cut the CEO's pay. Right. I mean, look at the banks that just collapsed, right? Yep. And didn't they get bonuses right on their way out the door? Sure they did. And how do you get a bonus for running a failed business? Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand it. So a strike at UPS. But if we fail, right? Sorry to cut you off. If we fail, what happens? The business fails. Right. And, and nobody wins. Yep. So we have to do our job to keep the business afloat, but they can just, you know, bastardize the whole thing. Yeah. Take a big paycheck and sorry, we got nothing left for the worker. Because they blame us for all the failures. Um, but but I don't want to whine about that, right? Here Here's the deal. Let's talk about a strike at UPS because that event will be devastating without question. Um, and of course, the narrative, right, that UPS is going to use and all of their rich friends um, the narrative is going to be that the greedy workers are shutting down the country, right? And obviously, that's not a fair assessment of, of what's happening. Listen, the strike is risky for both sides, right? The effects of a strike can't be overstated. This will affect the U.S. economy. It's going to hurt the company real bad. And um, it has the potential to hurt the union as well, quite frankly. I mean, a strike of any significant length you know, it's going to force UPS's customers to go elsewhere, right? So they're going to go out there um, and they're going to look to FedEx. They're going to look to DHL, whoever. Um, and the possibility that those customers don't return to UPS is pretty high, right? 
and that has a lasting effect on jobs. So this can cause permanent damage to UPS. And if we're being honest, that comes with job loss for our Teamster brothers and sisters at the company. So this is risky, right? It's definitely risky, but sometimes you got to stand up to the bully and you got to punch him in the mouth. Yeah, I mean, you think about just the sheer amount of packages they deliver. 24 million packages a day. Three wow. Percent. Six percent of the nation's gross domestic product on a daily basis, and more than three percent of the global GDP. Wow. So I mean, it's a tough void to fill too. Yeah. And that's the ripple you're going to feel. And and it's impossible to fill, right? Because again, will customers turn to FedEx and DHL and companies like that? Yeah, they will. But you know, FedEx can't pick up that slack. No, that, right. that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, and people look at like, well, what about Amazon? Well, Amazon has hiring problems. Amazon's yeah. churning through employees so quick and injuring employees so yeah. quick. What are they going to do? And they're using third party carriers to deliver their packages. Right. right. So they're not going to pick up the slack. They have their own slack to, right. to pick up on. And are those third party DSPs, as they call them, going to come pick up the slack in the Amazon branded van? I right. don't think they're allowed to. I think no. that's. And I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I think that's one of the rules that they're only allowed to carry Amazon products. Yeah, I think I, I think that's true. So listen, if on July 29th you order a package, right? You order something online and you're expecting a delivery and it's coming UPS. Send it back. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, when that scab shows up at your front door with the package, um, you can guarantee it's not going to be a couple of days later, right? It's going to be a couple of weeks at best. Um, this is going to slow things down. This is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just about you getting your new sweater, right? It's 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 more important than that. No, because you'll, you'll probably hear some loud noise coming up the road. You'll look out the window. You'll see this truck with the can open top that just collapsed under the bridge <laughs> it went under, right? <laughs> by some scab driving it. Yeah, because he doesn't know how to. <laughs> he doesn't know how tall this truck is exactly. Um, so. You know, we're approaching the expiration of that contract, um, and it feels a lot like this high-stakes game of chicken, right? And when a game of chicken goes bad, it goes bad for everybody involved. Um, So this is risky, uh, but I personally think it's absolutely necessary. If I were a UPS worker, I'd be chomping at the bit to go on strike. Have you seen the videos? Because they've done practice strikes all over the country, and they are rolling. Yeah. I think they need to take notice at UPS, and I'm sure they have. We had an election. We, we elected Sean O'Brien, yeah. and it's a different type of Teamster environment now. Yeah. This is a new day, and you know, people voted for exactly this, yeah. rolling in this direction. Yep. He branded himself a militant leader, um, and, and people, you know, people wanted that and overwhelmingly elected him on that platform right, as a militant leader. So this is who we are. We're not taking this lightly. We're not going to take it sitting down. It's going to be an ugly strike if it happens. Um, But again, we occupy the the moral high ground on this one. Um, This is the hill that we need to plant our flag on. Um, And quite frankly, I see this, and this is my opinion only. um, Well, not only my opinion, but my opinion. Um, This is the precursor, right, for Amazon, right? This is us posturing for what we're going to do at Amazon. If we can't win this one, if we can't make this one go our way, I don't know if we're going to be successful at Amazon. That's just one person's opinion. 
Yeah, you know, the workers you'd imagine would be looking at, you know, what we do here if you're an Amazon worker. And on the contrary, the firms that they hire to union bust are probably going to highlight everything they don't like to try and, you know, turn their minds against, you know, the Teamsters. Yep. So um, this is our 50th show. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, this is our 50th show. Um, 51. It's going to be recorded probably right around this time, right? Right around the end of this contract. Um, we've never done a live stream before on the 10 to 12 podcast. Uh, it might come to that, right? We're coming up on a point where we might need to do a live show. Um, we'll let you know if we're going to do that, we'll get the word out. Um, but we're going to keep our eye on this and we want to let everybody know in real time when this happens, we have about a two week lag time from the time we record our episodes and the time they air. So, um, that's a pretty long stretch if we're, if we're looking at something like this, right at an issue like this. So we may, um, we may need to go live and you're going to hear all the stuff that we usually edit out when we go live, but, (laughs) um, that's okay. We're going to do our best, but, um, I think that might be coming. So uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to keep watching this issue um, along with the rest of the world. And that's about it. Uh, We have some upcoming events. So just a reminder that our meetings are suspended for the summer for membership meetings. Obviously, you follow along online. If we have a need to call a meeting, we will. Uh, The next membership meeting is going to be September 22nd. Uh, We've also, coming up in September, we have the annual scholarship golf fund tournament. It's going to be on September 9th at Oxford Greens. And just a reminder for our members down in Alabama, we've got our contract negotiations kicking off soon. We've got our surveys open online. Please go online. Make sure you fill out a survey. Let us know what's important to you. You know, take an active role in this so we can make sure we bargain the best contract for you. Yeah, make sure um, for the folks down in Alabama, make sure you're, you're watching your bulletin boards in the shop and you're getting on our website um, I'm fairly sure we're going to call special meetings down there just to talk about the contract um, just ahead of kickoff. So um, that's coming really soon. So look for that. So you make sure you um, attend those meetings and hear everything that's going on or take part in that conversation. So that's going to just about do it for us. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for following the 10 to 12 podcast. If you're not following us, shame on you. Go to Podbean right now and follow the 10 to 12 podcast. Remember to let us know what you think about the show. Let us know what you love. Let us know what you hate. But let us know something. Email us at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. And until next time, I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you again.